Welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette. Uh, got James Lincoln. And the man behind Scale Sound Systems, J.T. Burke. J.T. Yes. Business must be booming because I notice your website is no longer allowing me to send you money to buy. Well, yeah, that's, I, got, I got overwhelmed. Man, there's people dying on the vine out there. You're blossoming all over the place. So how long do you think it's going to take you to get comfortable just for people who want to buy your stuff and place orders on the website? How long do you think that's going to be? Before I start taking orders again? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'll start taking orders again probably at the end of next week, this coming week, this week. Okay. So, but, um, yeah, I had, uh, <clears throat> between the, the, the stream of orders and people constantly writing about, about when the Steam series was going to get released and the install, the install jobs that I was, I was getting, I, uh, I just, I, I bit off more than I could chew at one time. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so I had to, uh. I needed to take a break to to catch up on the orders, get the new product releases designed and ready, and get my installation jobs done. Okay. <laughs> now, well, that's an interesting. Uh, how how many installations a week are you doing? Um, well, it's not. That depends on. I mean, I've got you know a, a dozen sitting in my shop right now. You know, I, I get requests every week. I don't, you know, I turn, I turn down more, more than, I, than I take simply because I just, I don't have the time. But I think that I'm, I think I'm going to have to limit it to, you know, one or two a week. You know, it kind of depends. If it's just a basic DCC sound installation, that's, that's one thing. I can do, I can do those pretty quick um it's when people are wanting you know ditch lights and marker lights and all the extra all the extra stuff that you know those really eat up time oh they do i can identify with that i can identify with that so and if i'm not mistaken most of this is just being spread by word of mouth customers selling other people who then become customers and stuff Right, yeah, I, I still, I still have not done one single iota of advertising, you know, aside from the Facebook page and the the YouTube videos. Um, I haven't actually paid for any advertising yet. Yeah, well, good heavens, I can only imagine how backed up you'd be if you had an ad running in MRH or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until until I can figure out a way to, you know. Um, the, the growing pains that I experienced the last few months were uh, were painful. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm incredibly um, grateful and 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 blessed. You know, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I'm thrilled that that people are liking what I'm doing. So it's not that I'm, you know, upset about it or anything. I just need to, I need to. Now I need to. Now that I know what kind of volume is happening, I need to 
I need to figure out a way to manage it. So you you revamp your website. At first, it was just you know a few selected speakers, and then you added uh, TCS, tsunami, uh, economy on the decoder side, and that started expanding things. And then you came out with generic sizes, which I think was a great, great move. Uh, because everything I've got here, for instance, and I know there's a lot of guys out there like me, that when we put in the original tsunami or something two years ago, whatever, normally first thing to go were, in the case of an app, be it RT or Genesis, any kind of weight that got in the way of the available speakers for that time just went by the base wayside. Your systems are all designed to go in without modification, which would be great. I went looking for some of my old weights <laughs> when I put in your <laughs> speakers for the uh, Atlas uh, C30-7s. And because I had cut off uh, that portion of the weight that interfered with the speakers I used originally. And so I looked on your website, looked at how you had done it, and by serendipity, I had left enough of the rear weight that those two upper feet or fingers sticking out went around that light channel. And that was some crystal clear adhesive in there. I pretty much dummied up exactly, you know, functionally what you had designed for because it then just fired right down through the truck openings and stuff in the frame. It sounds very good. Some of the others weren't quite that, <laughs> quite that simple. I had to get really creative. And so I've got a uh, brand new Genesis. SD70 uh, sitting in the closet. We've got your, you know, the decoder came in for it. And I've got your speakers that go in it because I didn't, I didn't discard any weights or any mounting thing. And I'm going, okay, here's how the speaker fits, but what holds it in? You know, because on the factory, it's a two-piece affair because it's a, a vertical mount on the 70. Right. And I'm going, okay, well, this screws in to anchor this to the frame, but I'm going, okay, wonder how JG puts this in. And uh, I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> I may have to send you a picture with the question of, okay, what do I do now? Uh, right. <laughs> say I've got the speakers and stuff, but it's escaping me unless I just silicone the speaker in the, the Genesis housing, just how that goes in there. It's either that or I'll leave it out right. and put one of your generic sizes in there and uh, just anchor it to the walls with silicone. But it's sure. just, hey, when, you, uh, when you're doing your installs, do you get by customer request or just curiosity, do you get in fine-tuning on the uh, hyperdrive? Now I'm talking about Tsunami 2. 
the hyperdrive or the DDE? I haven't um I haven't had any programming requests for that aside, you know, um basically they just, you know, they want the right sounds, they'll choose their horn and bell, you know, and uh and then uh I do the only other you know, I'm happy to do to facilitate whatever programming that they're looking for. But uh no one has um Everyone I've done installs for so far, um, for the most part, they've either been happy with, you know, the, the uh, basically the default settings or they're going to do it themselves. So now the one thing I do offer that a lot of people, you know, wouldn't necessarily have the, the tool to do is speed matching. And, um, you know, and I use the... Um, I just used that uh, AccuTrack speedometer, uh, and and that way, you know, and I do it, you know, I'll set the top, I, I, I look at what the locomotive's top speed is going to be in its natural state, and then, and, you know, I'm working my way through the speed curve then. If it's too fast, uh, you know, I'll limit it, of course, but nowadays, with DCC, I haven't I don't know that I've had a, a locomotive out of the box um, with a with a sound decoder installed. Uh, I don't know that I've I've seen any of them run past 60 or 65 scale miles an hour. They don't. They're not. You know. They're not the uh, the the race cars that they were back in the day, uh, which is good. And and um, so yeah. And I usually just then when I do my 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 uh speed matching I, I set everything so that uh one um, uh one speed step is one scale mile per hour so if you're at speed step 10 your the locomotive is running at 10 scale miles an hour 20 and so on and so forth and you know i do that in my personal fleet and that way any any locomotive can run with any locomotive i don't have to worry about they're all consistent. So, you know, that is something that I, that I make available to customers. All right. Because I noticed on the, uh, my MTA Chapo PATD, you know, it's like the decoders from uh, the tsunami choose. And when I put them in and Establish the uh, DDE parameters for the tsunami manual. You know, set this, set this, set this, set this, and then, you know, one speed step, CB503 at 255, etc. Came out, because that's really controls the sounds that we hear. It's not so much a speed thing with the motor, it's, it's reading what's coming from the throttle and it's it's supplying that audio component to the realism and right matching the two i i didn't have to do anything i've got a uh, 28 point custom speed table that actually came from uh, chris palomares and the only thing i've done is just modified the upper value so that it 
won't reach 120 miles an hour. But right. So all of a sudden, these the PA and the, the PB. Because I've got two main lines here, but I usually put them on the same main line about a foot apart, and then just work my way up through the speed steps. And they were just almost about 99% dead nuts on speed match. And again, serendipity came into to play. I didn't have to do anything. The sounds, even the uh, the attack and release on ramping up the prime mover and uh, declining on the prime mover and stuff was just in sync. And then I got to the relatively new Athern Genesis SDP40S, the Amtrak SDP40S, and yep. went through the very same procedure with them. And it took about an hour on just the first locomotive <laughs> to get it where it would not oscillate, would not, in other words, it was always screaming and speed step eight or notch eight. And I went, what the heck is this? I went back, looked at the, the, uh, the back EMF values, readjusted the current, did this and did that, did a lot of research on the forums, you know, the soundtracks, uh, users group and stuff, and made right. a lot of tweaks and finally got the one to where it was running fairly decently. It would actually back off and coast and then kind of notch up. Uh, but the others, no, they're still, Independent free agents on uh, on speed, you know, they're either on speed or endorphins. But I have no idea. It's just <laughs> like I don't know. I was going to ask Chris. You know, it really sounds like there's a lot of internal resistance on the motor. Maybe the springs that you know hold the the points against the I don't my mind went blank, but it's just always on the DDE, it is up there notched up. I have I kept curtailing the amount of volume increase because it was just annoying to listen to it as I was trying to dial it in. And of course it's got your speakers in it, so it's even more efficient and uh, loud. So I kept dialing it back and the two STP forty Fs are still One's a Democrat, one's a Republican. They are not working together at all. But the uh, huh. the third version, you know, the Santa Fe SDF 40-2, uh, it's good. It runs with an older Genesis. Again, everybody with uh, Tsunami 2s runs very well. Uh, but <laughs> these two SDP 40Fs going to need some more work. So... <laughs> That's why I wanted Chris on here tonight to, since he's the Athern guy, that he would know what the heck was going on. But, uh, now I've got tracked away the last items I was waiting on to come in to finish up this spur line stuff for him. So I'm going to take a break from micro wires and 
surface mount LED set. Do something that's a little less stressful. So right now, t talk to me about steam. What have you been doing to address the uh, section of the market out there waiting for steam speakers? Well, I've got a <clears throat> I have a, a a range of boiler or smoke box mounted systems that are that are going to come come out here in the next week or so. Okay. And um they're 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 actually round. So when it says, you know, they they range between 13 and 19 millimeters in diameter and 2 millimeter 2 millimeter increments. So they'll fit in a broad range of of uh boilers or smoke box. Um when I say boiler mount, I just use that generically. You know, if it's up in the smoke box, fine. I'm just kind of considering that all the boiler for the sake of wording. And um, and they've got, um, you know, it's kind of a, a ballooned D shape. So there is the flat spot there where the where the driver is mounted, and which is good because in what I've been seeing so far with steam locomotives is, you know, there's usually a screw or something that you need to clear and um but the entire enclosure will fit within the within the diameter stated you know and then leave leave a space uh, um where the driver is uh so those that was uh a good amount of, of testing went into those i i went through lots of different components and and uh lots of listening and and um you know I found uh, I found that uh, you know if one driver performed well with a with a diesel, it would fall apart under the the pressure of a of a chuff, you know, uh, from a steam chuff. And so you know, I actually kind of honed in and and voiced, you know, found found a driver and a, and a system that was that was very very solid. It gave you a very clear and defined and solid tough sound so that's part of the uh that's part of the steam series um and then there are tender mounted systems that are going to be in a variety of sizes and uh you know those uh are various square and rectangular dimensions i think there's probably close to a dozen at least maybe a dozen sizes sizes that are going to initially be available for those and uh, of course the idea is you know you're you're welcome to run the tender mount system by itself full range um, but should you have the room or the desire to modify weight in the boiler you know you can add a, a, a system up in the, in the, in the boiler or honestly the boiler systems um you know they they don't have quite the low end quite the low frequency heft of the bigger systems but they're still surprisingly uh i mean they still the the boiler systems sound thicker and fatter and fuller than than every steam locomotive that i've had out of the box so if you wanted to you could go with just the boiler system 
you know, now I, I'm still, I was hoping to get into, you know, some, there's, I want to go, go further with the design, but, but for the sake of time and, and not putting this off too long, you know, the initial release is going to be a, 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 a range of uh, 16 or something like that, different boiler sizes and at least a dozen different tender sizes. And these are all sort of generic, you know, systems um, that are based on what will fit what I have to work, work with here. Um, I do have I do have a boiler mount system that is coming out that is designed specifically for the Broadway Limited Mikado. Um, you know, but there's not going to be a whole lot of model specific systems um it, not until at least i i get more specific models in my shop um but the the you know the the universal range the, the generic fit steam systems you know will cover a lot of ground now will your website as you've done with the diesels show these boiler-mounted steam speakers in your video? Am I going to make videos, are you asking? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I do intend, yes, to make videos. Um, well, I guess specifically, you know, JT, I, what I was asking is, with the boiler off, so that we can see how you mounted it in there, did you, you know, did you have to modify the weight, or were you looking for straight, just slip in no modifications needed maybe that's what i was asking oh okay okay yeah like um yeah like the diesel range you know if they're if a couple of photos can can show you what needs to be done yeah it'll it'll just be that if it if it requires a little bit more involvement then there will be an installation guide you know i've got that uh, i've got that I, I i feel like a lot of people miss miss the, the the part of the website that says guides because i've got a number of installation guides there and you know they're profusely illustrated with photos and um you know and so that that will definitely i, I will definitely be making all of that information available for the steam series you know to the within the extent of what i have to work with because okay. again um much much like the prototype you know, diesels were fairly standardized. Steam was very much a railroad-specific thing. Um, I, I've I've learned that in the model realm, um, you know, there the, the 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 model manufacturers have also they varied they have varied their techniques and and design of steam model steam locomotives. You know, just as much as the prototype did um, with their steam locomotives. There's not it's been difficult to 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 come to si to come up with sizes that would cater to a, a broad range because there's so much variation between model steam locomotives. Okay. Well, and to support what you're saying, as I was watching one of uh, George uh, Butaka's soundtrack videos the other day on. DDE, when I was trying to really get familiar and up to speed on this, 
And I watched a couple of his steam ones. And on one of them, he walks through how he took the boiler apart and did this, did that. And I went, okay, now I know on that specific model how to take a boiler shell off, how to get into the drive, how to access the weight if I need to modify it to fit a speaker. But how did you know where to do that? Because I've looked at my Genesis big boy, put it in a cradle, turned it upside down, and I'm yeah. going, I had no idea. You know, here's a bunch of screws <laughs> that I can take loose, which I'm presuming one, they're underneath the locomotive, so all they're going to do in my mind is expose the, the gear drive, but I'm not seeing anything on how to take it off for it to get to the weight. Uh, to their credit, River Rossi on their CNOH8 2666, they say, yeah, here, pull this back, here's the screw, slide this forward, and the top of the boiler shell comes right off. And I'm going, oh, wow. Right. Boy, there's prime cutting territory for a for a Dremel to get in there to clear out some of the weight to put even a tiny speaker just to get whistle and steam his locality up front. Yeah, working in conjunction right. with a bigger speaker either in the cab or the tender. But sure. the rest of them... Uh, my Intermountain cab boards, same thing. Look over and I'm going, okay, I had no idea how to get in here. <laughs> that's, a, that's, uh, that's the magic question is how do I get this very detailed, good looking boiler cover off yeah. so I can modify the weight on the inside? Okay, I was hoping you were just going to go, hey, I've got a contact. I'm going to put it all on a video. Well, <laughs> again, you know, when you've got, you know, a hundred different plastic steam models that are on the market. <clears throat> yeah, yeah it's, it's just kind of, you know, I, if I can't figure it out myself, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a Google search and hopefully somebody else oh, yeah. has already, you know, posted a YouTube video or forum photos or something like that. And, you know, um, I mean, there have been times where I've not been able to find a solution you just keep carefully dissecting it until you figure it out <laughs> right because uh, I was surprised on the uh, Allegheny there were certain areas there was lots of room between the you know that weight covering and the weight itself and I thought boy that could actually almost become a sound channel yeah broadcast sound and let it filter out of the stack but okay i understand what you're saying it's quite the challenge all right so uh yeah it's your selection when i go through the pages of the uh rectify systems and then you know we've got the covals there or should I say coeval? <laughs> yeah, it's coeval technically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sometimes fits the uh, the installation process. It's coeval. Uh, 
I mean, you just have a lot of variety of speakers now. And I mean, in the last couple of months that I've been using your product, I mean, it's just exploded. Um, you're doing okay on the uh, decoder sales? Um, yeah, yeah. It, um, you know, as far as the speakers go, I do, I currently have right around 90 different sizes. Um, which is a little, a little, a little mind boggling. Sometimes I think about that at night. What have I done? Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as new, as new, uh, models come in, you know, I design new systems and then it just keeps going and then people send me installs and, you know, I just did a, a couple of Kato RS2s and, um, so, you know, I've got, I've got a system for those coming out. Um, you know, it just keeps, it just keeps growing and that's not, you know, I'm actually, I'm expanding the, the U-Fit, you know, I call the generic speakers a U-Fit. And so the U-Fit, um, I'm adding, mm, I think it's nine or nine or 12 new sizes to that. And um, and then, you know, then the steam series is going to be a couple more dozen sizes. You know, I'm going to be at 130 sizes in the next week. Um, you know, of, uh, if basically if I don't have something that fits in what you're working with, then what you're working with probably won't take a speaker. So <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. The, uh, yeah. I've got three kilometers. And of course, Athern, I guess they're January, maybe February, yeah, has their new redesigned frame and drivetrain, power chassis for those locomotives. Chris said they, we talked about it on a podcast maybe in uh, October, uh, where they redesigned how the truck fits in so you get that just pretty typical clear look through the bottom screens on the tunnels. So when those come out, I've already ordered three of the, you know, two of the 40s and one of the 45s. And then I'll come back to you for speakers because I've already put that tsunami twos in them to get that, get that sound there. Uh, yeah, it is. Every time I turn around, I go, okay, I've got to back away from spending money with JT on speakers. And then I'll go, golly, I need to put your speakers in this locomotive. And then next thing I know, I'm <laughs> sending more money your way. Fortunately, my wife can <laughs> see the play checking account. So it, my secret is safe. But it's, uh, I just love doing it. Like here today was 25 mile an hour winds. High today was maybe 48. And we're in New Orleans for heaven's sakes, 50 miles away from the Gulf of Mexico. And I looked at yeah. all of your guys' weather forecast, Jim up in the Boston, you know, metro area, and Chris and Champagne, right. and you and Marion, and you guys are all struggling in the 20s. And I'm going, okay, everything's relative, <laughs> so maybe. But there's a big fire going on in my fireplace down there. So it was a perfect day to watch the 
the Saints uh, win. So they were over at uh, Tampa Bay. But yeah, I went out a couple of times. I went, gee, it's Christmas. <laughs> Daggone chilly. Because it was 63, 64 yesterday at noon. You know, and then overnight, the yeah. freeze is here. But we won't see. Yep. <laughs> Actually, we're supposed to start having a warming trend. We've lived here three years, and I've seen snow flurries once. Yeah, it just doesn't get right. cold down here on the the Lake Pontchartrain, which is north of us, which is like a a small red sea. Just it's our buffer thermally from all the cold fronts that come down. All right, Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> what are you doing on track? Or are, do you do any DCC in your uh, Proto Forty Eight locomotives? Uh, I, I, I haven't. Ha I have a um, yes, short version is yes. Um, but I haven't. I've been working on the layout room lately, so okay, I haven't done yeah, any. Yeah, I know. You're doing drywall oh. and all that stuff. Ceilings. Yeah. Yes, drywall, hanging lights, all that okay. good stuff. Very good. Well, pretty soon you're going to be, uh, besides Buck and Chris to come out with that O-scale uh, boxcar, you're going to have to be bouncing on JT there to come out with uh, O-scale speakers for your uh, locomotives. Well, the, the locomotives I have have the the um, Atlas speakers in them. Okay. So most of the locomotives I have have speakers in them. Um, and try, I've tried other ones. Gotta try I've, I've, JT's. I've tried other ones. Yeah? I haven't tried his, but um, um, I was thinking about JT. He's not, he doesn't take Henry Ford's philosophy. Oh, you, can have, you can have, <laughs> you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you you have can have. You. You can have any size speaker you want as long as it's seven millimeter. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and when they say, "Yeah, but well, I, I need a different size," then obviously you have the wrong locomotive. <laughs> I would say some of JT's, even his HO targeted speakers, you know, Proto Forty Eight, depending upon what it is, and the decoder will probably sound pretty good. His F seven O twos. Those are just miracle workers. Mm -hmm. so, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily doubt it, but um, I haven't. That's the very least of my worries at this point. Um, I know. I'm yeah. just planting a seed <laughs> for you. I have a my MP15. I've got a um, um, uh, what is that? An ESU decoder for it. Um, that I'm going to be installing at some point. I have a battery set up that I want to install in it as well. I'm hoping all will all fit. Oh, um, going to go with some dead rail? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, make will make my life easier. So, so your whole layout, Jim, is going to be dead rail? I, I, yeah. It's not large, so it's it's essentially it's a it's a Four by eight, but so eight by sixteen. So it's going to be like eleven by twenty. So it's not large. Sure. 
you know, it's it's essentially a four by eight HO layout, but in O scale. Now, is it a point to point, or do we have a, a loop? No, it's going to be it's going to be continuous loop with a staging yard. Okay. Um, I decided to increase the size of the curves from the original plan to something a little less um, tight. So um, that means that the space I was going to have for a couple of staging yards is going to get sucked up. So, okay. Um, I mean, it's not a big deal. It just is what it is, you know. Sure. I Are they know. hidden staging areas or? Oh, no, this is all fiddle, fiddle staging, open staging yards. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, there's no, there's no grades that, well, there is a grade, but it's not, it's, it's an up, uphill into an industry. So that doesn't count. So now are you hand laying your, your track then for P48? Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. Individual tie plates, rail anchors, all that great stuff. Are you using the Proto Forty Eight shops stuff? Huh? Are you using the Proto Forty Eight shops their their products or? Uh, or not Proto Forty Eight, but Proto Eighty Seven. Yeah, I use, company. I, I use his spikes. I use other tie plates, but yes. I don't. I don't think he does O scale tie plates. So he does um, H O and N, but not not O. So um, yeah, I wasn't sure. I've I've bought his N scale and H O stuff, so I wasn't sure if yeah. he had the O stuff or not. No, no, no. Um, I do use his spikes for O though. So. Um, they work well. They're sharp. So that's that's the biggest thing. But yeah, it's um. Uh, I just had an R article published in um model railroad hobbyist in november the cover cover story so nice. um, and the bridge that that gondola is sitting on has hand laid proto 48 track um so yeah you do all the joint bars and, and i've even put in rail bonds in spots when i've been feeling particularly insane um no, that's great but uh, yeah i've, I've put i've put in all that stuff uh right now it's just i have a lot of um my own detail parts that i've uh i have on shapeways so, so um whereas a lot of people will use single tie plates underneath the frog i actually use the correct hook tie plates right um and uh i've designed um ooh, the uh point clips they're kind of the heavy duty. Um, it's the heavy duty Pennsylvania Railroad, New York Central uh, point clips, switch rod clips, um, uh -huh, yeah, for you know, and adjustable rail braces and all that great stuff. That's so, fantastic. I, I I love I love track work, so that's why I was oh good. I was <laughs> I on my switching layout. I hand laid the track and I did it to uh, I I. I I played around with the dimensions and, and, and I came up with something between Proto 87 and NMRA uh -huh. because I like to run the Proto 87 wheel sets on my rolling stock, but I didn't want to change all the wheels on my locomotives. Yep. So through 
comparison of, of the dimensions from the NMRA and the Proto 87 and, and comparing and then coming up with a standard, I, I developed a turnout that you can run an RP25 wheel set through or nice. a Proto 87 wheel set. <laughs> nice. And then, you know, I put the, I put the rail, the, you know, the rail braces in and the yep. joint bars and stuff. I didn't go too crazy with it, but, uh, cause it was, you know, kind of an experimental test bed, but, but, uh, well, the- I really, I really dig P48. I think Proto 48 is probably one of the coolest. I can see myself building a, a P48 switching layout in the future. Yeah, that's um, the the next. Of course, I agree with you. But the next um, the next project layout that Tony Custer is doing for Model Railroad is actually a Proto 48 switching layout. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they wanted an O scale one, but he did it in Proto 48. So. People think it's totally unaccessible, and it, it really isn't. The one nice thing about Proto 48 is then you can get, you know, um, on my layout, I'm I have going to have several switches with uh, self-guarded frogs. Mm-hmm. And yep. what you can't you can't do in you can, but you you, you have to have scale wheels to, to have those work. We have uh, our local model railroad club has has uh, some self-guarded oh, yeah? frogs on, on the HO layout, and yeah, and um, and they they work fine with everything except for um, the the Bachman the old Bachman forty four and seventy tonners that had the powered trucks. Okay. They uh, the 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 gearbox hung so low below that it would catch the. Uh, okay. It would catch the guards on the self guarded frog, but I mean, okay. you know, they do it in they do it in HO, and I think I even think Proto eighty seven sells self guarded frogs now. Oh, they do commercially. Yep. Available. What, but what, you know, I, we used to scratch build them back in the day. <laughs> okay. The um, I I know they work better. I mean, if, if there there was a reason that I said that, and it's like it it has to do with well, if you put them in, so they you you have to build them specifically for the size wheels you're going to use. If that makes mm, any yeah. sense. So it does. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to make it accurate. Oh boy. I'm echoing. So, um, yeah, if you're going to make the frogs accurate, then you have to have the right wheel sets. But, right. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, if, you, if you're going to be using standard RP25 or, uh, what is it, Code 88 wheels, then, yeah, right. I, could see, I could see those working fine. But you can't really, you know, if you have a self-guarded frog for Code 88 wheels, it's not going to work for regular wheels. Yeah, it, that's the you know it presses on the wheel face to keep the you know right. from, from crossing over the point, whereas yep. a guardrail will catch the back of the opposite wheel. Yep. Just you know for those for anyone listening who doesn't understand the difference between a self-guarded frog and a <laughs> I'm a I'm a track nerd, so I. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> so am I. I go around to people's layouts and fix their switches. I um yeah I I went cross-country i visited the um mm, uh, i can't remember the name of the club and people are going to hate me for this but the 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 club in san jose and um they were having an operating session and uh, they had installed a uh they had installed an interlocking and the gentleman installing it had cut the wrong rails so when he he was gapping the frog he cut the wrong place and kind of sprung it oh and i was you know visiting during an operating session 
And they're like, no, 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 you're a visitor. I'm like, where are your tools? I was like, yes, yeah. where are your tools? <laughs> no, no, you're a visitor. You don't need to do that. Let's show you the layout. Give me the tools. Yeah. Give me the tools. <laughs> Just give me the tools. So, yeah, I fixed I fixed their interlocking during an operating session without shorting yeah. the entire railroad out. So, well, see, that's the thing is it, when you know what you're doing, it doesn't take too long. And they were obviously struggling a little bit. So, you know, it was it worked out for everybody. Right. And um yeah, that, that the ongoing joke with me is uh, is um, I keep getting killed when when I'm on operations. So, um, because um, I I yell at the engineer when I'm the conductor, I yell at the engineer because they run me over because they don't do what I tell them to do when I tell them to do it. <laughs> so they you know they they're typical model railroad um, operators and they try to think ahead. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it's like okay, I'm going to move the locomotive over here. And it's like, I'm the conductor. You do what I tell you when I tell you to do it. Don't move until I tell you to do it. Okay. <laughs> and then they start moving. I'm like, you just killed me. Yeah. It's like, what? That's how it is in the real railroad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th this was a real conversation I had with an engineer once. I said, so how do you think we should do this? That that was me. So how do you think we should do this? And he said, Jim, forwards, backwards, and stop. That's all I want to know. That's all I want to hear from you. That's all I need. Forwards, backwards, and stop. That's all. And he was a he was a prototype engineer. Yeah, this was a prototype engineer. Yeah. Yeah. So he knew. Yeah. He knew. Oh yeah. Well, no, it was like I'm not going to help you do what you do. That's your job. My job is to make the train go forwards, backwards, and stop it. Yeah. And to do what you tell me when you tell me to do it. That's my job. My job is. Not to tell you how to do your job. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know. And then, then there was one time I said, "Okay, we're going to stop here. Don't tie onto these cars. Hang on." And the guy tied onto him and moved him. And I said, "Okay, well, this this consignee doesn't have to pay to have switching done at their plant for the re for the next three years because you just ripped the side off the building." <laughs> what? It says, "Yeah, I hadn't gone in to check whether." whether whether there any that the, the uh, loading plates were in place, and so now you just <laughs> you hit all those cars and it just ripped all the doors off. <laughs> oh, and so I'm I'm doing the work on this this set of turnouts, and this guy backed his he backed a, a train into my interlocking, like into my working limits, right? And like right in right into my hand, I think. So it's like, yeah. what the heck? It's like. <laughs> it doesn't matter where I go, what I do, I keep getting killed. Right. Especially was, if he was backing, he needed he needed to have a flagman if he was backing. I know. You know? I mean, come on. <laughs> it's like you have an outer I mean, how did you not notice that this entire interlocking was out of service? Yeah. <laughs> like with the, the the pliers and the soldering iron and everything. What what did how did you not see this? <laughs> Oh well, you know, I didn't put up the barricade. You know, obviously it's my fault. Yeah, I've de definitely. I've I've seen pictures of pe people's layouts, and they were using uh, snap switches. And I said, okay, I'm going down to your house and building you switches. <laughs> I, I I drove four hours to the guy's house. Me and a friend of mine, me and Craig Biscayer, we drove down to his house and built a couple of yard ladders for him in an evening, in a day. Actually, <laughs> it took a, it took a whole, whole day to do what do it, but. Yeah, nice.
It's like, oh my God. And so now he's a convert to fast tracks. He thought it was yeah. going to be too, he thought it was going to be too hard. Then when, when we came and we did it and he was using Atlas snap switches and I saw it in a, in a, in a, um, in a post and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> intervention time. We're coming to help. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the hand, and the hand, you know, I've I've not used the fast track stuff. Um, yeah, I, I do I do my hand laying the old the old fashioned way still. Yeah. Um, but I did did I did break down and buy their point filing block. Yeah. Um, because that's what takes the most time for me is getting a good, good smooth point. The rest of the turn out the frog, everything else, so it, it goes together real quick. But getting nice smooth right. points. So I thought, well, I'm gonna buy one of those point filing blocks. I haven't used it yet, but um yeah the hand laid track is just it runs it's just so much i mean it's it's beautiful it's it's derailment free yep yep yeah i really like the yeah the point form tool is definitely all the point the point form tool if you purchase the point form tool it not only does the points it also does the frog you know that right yes but i i still do my frog the way um, I learned from railway engineering, okay, and um, where I, I I bend it at half of the frog angle and put it in a vise, and then I file flat across the top, and then the, the then it bends back on itself and forms a perfect point, and it stays in one piece instead of having two okay. two frog rails. It, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, to me, that's still the fastest way to make a frog, and it it's easiest to work with. Okay. Interesting. I'd have to see that. Railway Engineering's website. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Railway Engineering. Um, they make um, they make track gauges called Rolly holders. Oh, I've and heard of them. Yeah, they're, they're they're brilliant. I I I've, bought, I've got multiple sizes in in an HO and uh, um, just an excellent track gauge. And they take all they they eliminate all the slop that the NMRA has built in, and so it. Uh, and they don't they don't broaden the radius on your curves like a three point mm-hmm. will you know the three the three point that's a it's a terrible idea to do that but that's kind of been normal and uh, yeah and he I, he had this hint, he them. had this little thing on 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 you know how to file your frogs and it and I was like that's brilliant I tried it and I've never looked back <laughs> yeah I, I I'm uh, I don't really like three point gauges either. Um, the gauge that I use, well, actually, I use uh, Fast Tracks. If you use their um, their sweep sticks, which are technically not track gauges, but you can use them for track gauges. Um, I use those for curves, particularly. I mean, you have to choose your radius, but uh, I have straight ones and I have different radius ones, and. Um, the other thing that I find that I use is uh, just a tie, just, just a tie, and I put two notches in it. Right. And then um, what that allows you to do is get the track centered on your ties. Because what I always would find when I was handling in, a, in HO is that you have a tendency to lean too far inside on the first rail. I, I would, anyway, because it looked right. And then right. when you lay when you lay in the second rail, then you re, then you see it's wrong. It's too far over to one side. It's not centered. 
Yeah. See, with the rolly holders, I spike my rails at the same time, both of them at the same time, because they 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 lock over top of the rail head and they just roll along down the rail. And so I just yep. run both rails parallel and I can uh -huh. keep them. I just, you know, right. I, I am, but they're centered on the ties, but yeah, yep. doing one rail first is, you know, well, the trick I originally learned was from Laurel Joiner, God rest his soul. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're probably familiar with Laurel Joiner, uh -huh. you know, yeah. and, and he had a, he made, you know, he made a little jig that had, it was just two pieces of wood that was notched, you know, to space your first rail along your ties and and it would keep it you know when you laid your second rail it would it would be centered then right mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's essentially what i'm doing it's just a tie, it's just a, a standard tie um so you know it's it's the same time i'm using everywhere else so i use that to keep the rail centered right and you have a little bit of play which is fine you don't want this I, I i find with like if you're using an mr nmra gauge you have a tendency to be a little tight um with your gauge uh -huh. where i mean at least i do you know and you can be a little wide what little wide's okay little tight is not so but that's interesting i don't find too many traction arms i've um I've uh, I, I've done clinics on track as a model too. You get people that will say, "Well, I use the three foot rule, and you can't see that." And so, well, in my in my, my clinic, I show a picture of about three from three hundred feet away, or two. Yeah. So it's like two hundred and fifty feet away in a yard. And I said, right. "What can you see in this photograph? You can see the joint bars." Yeah, for you sure. can see the, yeah. you can see the joint bars from two hundred and fifty feet away. So don't tell me. You can't see it. Tell me you don't want to do it. And, and I think it's a, and that's okay. A, yeah, you know, I think I, I do. I try to I try to maintain a, a a somewhat of a balanced perspective because you know I can get crazy with the freight car modeling. Yeah, I can get crazy with the track modeling. I can I can I'm, I'm kind of getting more into diesel modeling, that kind of thing. Um, but I think it depends on you know, a lot of factors play into it, you know, available time, uh, the size of your layout, you know, oh, yeah. and well, if you're building a basement size layout, I think McClellan's, you know, concept of good enough is the way to go, at least with starting out. And then you can go back and fine tune things as you, as you, you know, you go along. So, you know, well, even, if, even though I'm a strong proponent of hand laid track, you know, hand lay the track and then detail it later you know that's my you can, you can do I, that you know i um the, the point is that I'm, I'm trying to uh just give people a hard time because <laughs> um because what i what i circle back to is is obviously this takes a lot of time when you're when you're building track the way i build track which is almost mu museum quality which is sure. it takes time and so you may not want to spend that amount of time on your entire layout. Well, fine. Take a signature scene of the layout where people are going to be concentrating on it and detail that. Right. Detail a, you know, a two foot section of the layout where you have something going on that you want everybody to look at. Everybody's looking at it. So they're going to see it. Well, they don't notice. Well, they might not notice when the train's going through, you know, farmland. You're right. They're looking at the train. They're not really looking at the track. But 
you know, you have one particular, you know, put in some cute little, you know, some interesting details, you know, like the track that used to be there, but isn't like, or there's a straight piece of track and it still has the, um, the, uh, the heel blocks and stuff, not the heel right. blocks. Uh, um, uh, so, yeah. you know what I mean? The, uh, down by the points, the, um, the rail braces, it still has the rail, it still has the rail braces on the track, but the switch isn't there anymore. You know, details right. like that. I have photographs yeah. of that. So, um, sure. you know, things like that where they, you know, you think they'd keep the straight section of a switch, but they kept the curved section of the switch. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, pictures of that. Um, and you can put in these little details that um, people will see it if you put it there, particularly in, in you know, scene by scene. Let me ask you a question. Before Ooh. we talked about, I think it was in the last one, about joint bars, which you brought up. And even in uh, welded rails, we still have joint bars and turnouts. And if you've got a siding that is still jointed rail, you have joint bars. And you had referenced, uh, both you and Christian referenced the gentleman on the uh, MRH forums that sells joint bars and other details like that. So I went to his website and there's a lot of different styles of joint bars. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. Bill, Bill Brillinger, right? Yeah. And so if yeah. I wanted to buy, because I'm getting ready to lay this yard, which will be for all intents and purposes, jointed rail. Uh, and I'll probably use my Dremel to just cut notches in the top to simulate that break. What kind of do you not do that. C shaped or what? what? Don't don't well the joint bars it depends on the railroad you're modeling. Okay. And generally speaking, most people are not gonna be able to tell whether it's there's Correct probably enough. three people that are going to be able to tell that it's the wrong joint bar. Okay. And two of them may be on the call right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, no. Um, the vast majority of people aren't going to know that. They're going to be impressed that the joint bars are there, particularly in HO. In O scale, you're going to, that's a little bit more of an issue. But um, I mean, as long as there's something there. Uh, you're getting away with a lot. And the other thing is I would not notch the top of your rails with a Dremel tool. How about Don't do that. Just too much. a very thin... Take an X-Acto knife. Yeah. Oh, okay. Take, take an X-Acto knife and then... you don't, It doesn't have to be deep. It just has to be... You have to cut a notch on the top of the rail and then put paint in that notch. Okay. Put black paint in the notch. Okay, so it becomes just, just a, a visual correct. indicator. Okay, very good. Appreciate that. And you have to you have to notch it with an exacto blade because the exacto knife will cut the top of the. You will be able to notch it. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And because it's notched, one, it will be a straight line. Yeah. So if you try to paint that, if you try to paint that, you'll never get a straight line. And then the paint won't get worn off okay because it'll be in a it'll be in a divot yes so as trains go over it you're not going to be wearing the paint off 
Excellent. Appreciate that. Now, if you if you if you want to get real, kind of to answer your question though, Paul, is is the the biggest difference here that you're gonna that you're gonna get an HO anyway. You're gonna get you're gonna get four bolt bars, six bolt bolt bars, and eight bolt bars. Okay. That's pretty much, you know. Yeah. Now, when you look at the prototype, they're all drilled differently. Every prototype used their own drill patterns. Okay. That's not that's not that's not relevant in HO. I don't even know if anybody's making different drill patterns for joint bars. Okay. But you know, you can use you know if it's if it's very if it's older, lightly used trackage, you know, you can put your four bolt bars bars in there, and then your heavier duty trackage, you know, you use your sixes. Okay. That kind of thing. Good point. Well, this is all going to be yard and siding. So, all right, fours or sixes. Okay. Cause I was and looking, if you want to get really cool about it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? What's I was going to say, because I started researching photos of prototype switches to find out where to put them, you know, in the HO scale turnouts. I'm still really not sure of where they should be placed in a turnout well you know with your with your 39 foot sections of the rail yeah you know in your yard in the old the old you know jointed rail not not continuous welded rail right um you know they ran that they would they would they would maintain their 39 foot spacing through the stock rails unless unless it interfered with with points or a guardrail, so okay. you you could find a joint just about anywhere in a, in a turnout, okay. as long as it's not interfering with the mechanics. Okay. But you also keep in mind is that is that when they made repairs, you know, um, I actually did a stint for Norfolk Southern as a trackman. Okay. So it was it was a brief, you know, years ago I, I was when I, I wanted to quit touring, and I I worked for Norfolk Southern as a trackman. Um, it was a great job. It was a great company, but I I really missed touring, so I went back went back in the music industry. But <laughs> when we you know when we made repairs or in any other railroad makes repairs, you know sometimes you're just dropping a short piece of rail to fill okay. a hole, and Very you good. you you know you'd have especially in yards and yards it was kind of off limits. You could pretty much whatever kept the trains rolling. You, you know you, it was really hard to get track time in yards because okay. they needed to keep that stuff going. So yeah, I've a, lot seen, of patch, a lot of patchwork. I've seen like uh, uh, like a like a four or five foot section of you know Absolutely. you've got hundred pound rail, hundred and thirty two pound rail for, for five feet back to hundred pound rail. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What you got? Yeah, you could. Yeah, I mean, this was on a siding, so you know it's a yeah. five mile an hour siding. So they're like they just got had had to put something in there. So instead of replacing, you know, what's in the siding, they just they use the mainline rail. Okay. Threw yep. it in there. Yeah. It was probably it was probably on the truck, and they just cut it up, yeah. and they used comp, what's called comp bars, which are right. they're the prototype's version of transition rail joiners. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and stuck stuck it in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I've used those on my um, my prototype. 48 layout too. the most recent switch I installed I have uh, compromised bars in it okay well let me ask this question 
because you know I've got all the main line done and the, the yards are templated and I've now got the last turnouts I need to go ahead and put those in. And so the other day a conversation comes up. We need to yeah be moving to the Dallas area. Then I went, okay, you're right, we do. I said, I'm not tearing down this railroad until there's a contract on the house. Somebody might look through the door and go, hey, this is a 14 by 13 bedroom. If they can't envision that mentally, then they don't need to be buying this own. So, and my wife goes, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> all right. I said, I'm going to do the start scenicing, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to scenic in modules. Now to take all my floral foam and uh, plaster cloth, and I'm going to do it as separate modules that will set in place, and then do the transitions on the scenes with uh, ground foam and uh, stretchy fabric that you know just looks like underbrush and stuff. And I said. The big thing is the track. I said, because one of the things that just makes track not able to be salvaged is when you cement the ballast in. Because all this roadbed, all the uh, subbed for the grate and stuff is just in with acrylic silicone. I've already taken my grandfather's 12 inch butcher knife because it's so thin. Where, you know, as you fine tune the track and you see little things that need to be corrected, it's very easy to go in there and cut through that silicone, make the modifications and re-silicone. So I, I went, why don't I just put the ballast down, but not put the glue solution on it? What do you think about that? Good idea, bad idea. What? Put the ballast down without glue? Without glue. Put it in. Yeah, obviously it means you can't vacuum the layout, but do you see a inherent problem with loose ballast? Yes. Okay, tell me what. It's gonna it's going to I mean in a yard it's not a big deal. Right. On a main line it could be because it's gonna it's gonna roll you know even the vibration of model trains uh-huh in time is gonna make it's gonna screw up the ballast profile especially with my speakers there <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay all right well i'll just cut insert the frequencies on the equalizer all right well that's now, a good right point. there that's a good right point. there you need to you need to insert the um not the drum roll, but the um, yeah, the the didn't crash. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, you know, I, I had to I had to put a little plug in real quick. Uh -huh. uh, one one thing one thing to try out, Paul. Okay. Is if if you're really dead set on doing this, one thing to try is is uh, now you, you've you know your your track is already glued to the roadbed, right? Okay. One one thing that you can do is is uh you know the 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 model
Auto Railroad Club here in town, where I, where I am, is the layout is 70 years old. It's an HO layout that they started building in 1950. So, um, you know, and there was there was you know a lot. There's a lot of great scenery, a lot of great track work. I mean, they they did a they they knew what they were doing back then. They they it was done well. You know, some of the track is the old fiber tie. You know, but a lot of it's hand laid. And what they did is they painted their sub roadbed gray, like a, a granite ballast type gray color and put the track down and, you know, just, just sprinkled ballast on the shoulders, you know? Um, so one thing you can try would be to, you know, paint the, the shoulders of your roadbed um, a ballast gray co color and, and, you know, sprinkle some ballast on it. And that'll, you know, if it, if it, if it does, you know, you're not going to see cork or whatever, bare cork is what I'm saying. So if, if this is something you really want to experiment with, I would suggest, I would suggest starting with a gray base before you, before you ballast. All right. So after I airbrush, uh, a gray tone on the shoulders, but, and if it gets up on the side on the tides, it's going to be airbrushed again for the part of the weathering process. What if I took? Well, I mean, I, I guess I would I, I would paint I would paint all your track. I, I guess you know this is not something I've really thought of about, about doing, but it, since we're talking about it, I would paint your track. Yeah. Get your tie color and your rail color and all that stuff down, and then just brush paint some gray paint on the shoulders and while the paint is wet sprinkle ballast on it or do what you just said and take the acrylic uh, caulk that in a gray color and just put a very tiny bead and smooth it on the shoulder with the finger then sprinkle the ballast on it so that it will stabilize the ballast between the ties and a, another way of keeping the vibration from the fantastic speakers from vibrating the ballast down. Okay. <laughs> you, could all, you could also try getting a, getting a, uh, a textured paint. Yeah. Yeah. A river rock paint. Um, I mean, I don't know whether a Polo Ralph Lauren made one, but it's... Okay. Um, you can get a textured paint that actually has grit to it. What if you okay? Get what if you painted and put uh, zip texture in it, which is you know um, a Paris Well, I, I'm just saying stuff. that it, it. I mean, this paint. Yeah. If you just paint this paint down, it looks kind of like ballast, and it okay. has grit to it. All right. Naturally, so that which is about the same size as I'd say N scale ballast. Okay. So. It's going to naturally hold the ballast in a little bit. Okay, good points. All of these are good points. And, you and even if you don't do anything, if you don't do anything, it'll look kind of ballasty. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. All right. No, that's, uh, uh, unpainted. Unpainted track is like unpainted track is my biggest pet peeve. When I see when I see layouts in the, in the press and everything is beautifully scenic and they, and even if they ballast it, if they, if they left the rail side shiny and the yeah. ties unpainted, I, it, it, 
I can't even rec my I can't reconcile what I'm looking at. It drives me bonkers. So make sure you paint everything. <laughs> I always paint uh, the rail. So I took your suggestion about instead of using rattle cans up here in the house, uh, I just ordered uh, propel cans, and I'll just disconnect the airbrush yeah. from the compressor, bring it up, and I'll use that at a lower pressure to spray paint the uh, the track and weather the ties and. Uh, because after I'm done, I put dry pigment based upon the prototype I'm looking at in photos, and uh, it works out real well. But yeah, it was a great idea to get the uh, propel and just use the airbrush that way. And that's yeah, I, just, I, I, I could I could never get results that I wanted with with rattle cans mm -hmm. with my track painting so that's what you know I just I literally you know I've got I've got multiple high you know high quality airbrushes here but but I, I literally just got one of those like $20 testers airbrushes with with propel and yeah. I just load my paint into those and I can go around the layout and I can control it and use whatever colors I want and it doesn't get it doesn't have a bunch of fumes and crap in the air. It's you know much oh, much yeah. easier and nicer. Yeah, because I'm going to use Flex, which is you know a, a water-based thinner, so I don't have to worry about lacquer thinner, uh, any of that other stuff fuming up the house. Okay. But yeah, I, that stuff just flows and doesn't. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. I honestly think though that probably the best overall track color is the Rust-Oleum Camo Brown. Yeah, the Jim, there's camo. a number of people that will echo the Camo camo Brown color. And then yeah. you can highlight uh, different sections. I've been studying right. trackage uh, photos of Mainline and good articles on even how to let that rusty you know, that real deep brown kind of flow and stain the nearby, uh, especially if it's a light gray ballast. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some very good examples of that. So, it, uh, mm -hmm. and if I lose a little bit of ballast with the house sells and I've got to rip this up, at least I haven't thrown away, yeah, a couple hundred dollars worth of track like I did before and turnouts. So, right. Okay. Excellent. Well, the only time you, well, I mean, it's, turnouts are generally savable. Yeah. As long as you're not, as not, as long as you're not handling them. <laughs> um, <laughs> once you handle uh -huh. a turnout, the ties are toast. Um, yeah. Pretty much. Uh, well, I, I also feel that, uh, my, you know, everyone gets different results. So when I, you know, when I say this, this is just my experience, and and maybe it's my working methods that are different. You know, I'm not saying that anyone is is wrong. Um, first of all, I think that real rock is far more effective than anything synthetic. So highball or scenic express, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that that ballast is so much easier to work with That's what than the use. synthetic the synthetic rocks, which are. are uh, just have been a pain. I mean, they they're subject to static. There's they're just a pain to get right, in yes. my opinion. But uh, 
Um, but one thing I, I feel like a lot of people do is I think they use too concentrated of a glue. Okay. And, um, and uh, they're, they, you know, they, they're like, oh, you know, I don't even glue it around the points because the points will get glued shut and this and that, that and everything. And, you know, all that I use is I use a ratio of one part glue, three parts water, one part Elmer's white glue and three parts water okay. with a little dish detergent in it. Yeah. And it, you know, as long as you pre-soak your ballast with alcohol so that it, it, the glue wicks all the way through it. Um, I have never in probably, I have layouts that I ballasted, you know, 15, almost 20 years ago. I've never had a dry clump, crumbly spot. I've never had ballast break up or come loose, you know, and that's using a one to three glue to water. Uh, I think a lot of people use, you know, half and half or three parts glue and one part water. Yeah. You know, it, you don't, it doesn't take that high of a concentration of, of glue. Um, and I've never used uh, matte medium. Um, that was no, that was no thing is uh, the, the, the deterrent to, Elmer's glue is at least a, a, a thick, hazy film on top of the ballast. I've never had that. I've never. Uh, well, I did that. when I was a teenager. I yeah. did. I did in my early years because I was using too high of a concentration of, of glue. But uh, as long as your ballast is soaked with alcohol, um, and the, the the glue can get all the way through it, it. I've never. I've never once had a had a single bit of crumble or cracking or issues or haze or film or anything it's, it's just it works great well because of the evaporative rate of isopropyl uh, I just take and make that glue selection or glue solution and that's what I pre-wet with before I apply the glue solution for that capillary action yeah it takes the surface tension away uh, and I yeah. think, yeah, like one to one, maybe two to one, two water, one glue. Uh, now I agree with what you're saying. Uh, now I do use. And I don't, glue. I don't spray my alcohol. I don't, I don't spray my alcohol you, in my ballast. I, I've you drop got it. A, I've got like a big. I've got like a big. Uh, it's like a big eyedropper that I think that. I think you can buy them at, you know, a pharmacy. I think they okay. use them for like baby, to give babies medicine, okay. oral medicine. I'm not sure what they're used for, but okay. <laughs> it's just a big eyedropper. And I just suck up a bunch of alcohol and I just run it down the center of the track. It doesn't disturb the ballast or anything. Okay. And it just soaks it nice and soaks it nice and thoroughly. And then I just follow up with a another the same dripper i just use the same dropper honestly i just go between the alcohol and my glue back and forth micromark and makes these uh little squeeze tubes with the uh like yeah. a, a horse size hypo on the end of them that's what i use because it's my thumb that's controlling the flow out so that i'm not washing away balance because i got spastic and squeezed too hard yeah that's but your points, <laughs> your points valid too. Uh, a medicine dropper is what you're talking about. Okay, excellent. Well, that's been informative. Very informative. I was hoping that Chris would be able to join us because uh, I sent him 
my new LED conversions. Oh. And I was hoping to get his, I was hoping to hear his, uh, I mean, I emailed with him last week, but I was hoping to get his, uh, his feedback because he should have received him by now. Oh, you made a change in the uh, printing process? Oh, I, I revamped, I revamped the entire thing and I, I expanded the line a little bit. I've got an eight millimeter length now and I've got a couple of other sizes and, and I've even, I've even, I'm even using new LEDs. So the new LEDs are, are just insanely blinding. Are they like 1206s? I, I, yeah, they're, they're 1206s, but it's a, it's a high end, it's a high end, a high end 1206. That is, it's not like the ones you buy on eBay or that you normally see. Uh, you know, they're more expensive, but but uh, I I put them, I tested them, I compared them to the ones that I was already using, and I literally I thought, gosh, I should have put sunglasses on because I was seeing spots for like five minutes after I compared the brightness of them. Yeah, <laughs> but you can control that on the tsunami too, because you can. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It, that, yeah, my point is my point was to to be able to make them. You know, some modelers they do they like their lights to be on stun. <laughs> yeah, you know? they do. They do. And and <laughs> and I'm and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know uh, you know dispute that. You know, that's if if, if that's what looks good to their eye, then that then I then yeah, I want to be able to facilitate that. But they can be you know they can be brought back if you need to yes, they can. <laughs> yeah they were uh i had to use somebody else's on all the uh, ground light because the 120 uh the 1206 was it was hard to hide something that big underneath the, the uh, edge of the shell but yeah it's, uh, it's your your light kit is very good all right well good i'll look forward to that towards the end of this week when you get the website up or back yeah. up <laughs> Yeah, I mean the website is still up. Anyone can go visit and look at it. It's but I can't order. I can't right spend now, so. money. You can still you can still order decoders and parts. That's still uh, open. Uh huh. I just had to. I just had to stop. I had to stop the speaker and LED orders while I did all this stuff. Wow. Well, I had to go back and look. Up. I thought the the PA decoders and the Tsunami two were out of stock. So. Maybe I misread that because I need two more of them. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, appreciate your time, boys. Appreciate. No problem. It. Yeah, it was good. Uh, good talking with you, Jim. We missed you last time, so. Well, yeah. Sorry. But now you know, uh, <laughs> JT. You've got somebody to be on the lookout for O scale speakers. Yeah, or well, like, or at least somebody you can talk to about track if you want. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. If you go um, to our podcast or Facebook page, Model River and Hobbies Podcast, Jim has a number of his tracking projects that he's done uh, posted on there. Impressive work. Yeah, definitely have to look into that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we were able to get a special accommodation from Chris's parole officer, which allowed him to be out a little bit late tonight and talk with us. So we're going to discuss some issues like back EMF, DDE, and our total incomprehension of the nuances. 
Hello, Mr. Palomari. Hello. How are you, Mr. Gillette? I'm fine. All right. Well, started off, did you uh, get the new lenses and stuff from JT? I got the new lenses from JT. I got them yesterday, in fact. Did you like them? I, I haven't installed them yet, but yeah, they definitely look a lot more clear. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to try them out on this locomotive that okay. I, I've, I've kind of stripped down and machined the frame a little bit. I'm going to try to do a, a fresh install, knowing what I know now about the whole procedure. Yeah. Um, and also the new products I, that have come to light since I've started this project. Um, like JT speakers okay. and his lenses, et cetera, you know. All right. So the, uh, the reason I contacted you and and I've also had a conversation with George at Soundtracks is I had a couple of locomotives, well, actually a couple sets, uh, MTH, PAPB, and older, like at least three, four years old. Atlas U-boats that I'd put uh, Tsunami 2s in, speakers from JT, went through the uh, configuring of the DDE uh, per the manual, plus watched uh, George's uh, videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And the PA and the PB were a snap. Uh, individually and they just ran smooth they coasted the volume came down it it lugged as they notched up and they just run dead nuts on with each other same thing with the uh, atlas u-boats and both of them just run together and so forth so i got out the uh the ones that for me, your new locomotives, the STP-40Fs and the uh, SDF-40-2, the Santa Fe version. And yeah. zeroed out the uh, DDE and, you know, per the manual, set the CV uh, 2, 5, and 6 to zero value, went through the same process. And three different diverse sets of readings from these three locomotives. And I thought, okay, mm -hmm. individual motor characteristic. <laughs> so I put the Santa Fe unit on the track. And it was just, even on the flats, it was just always screaming and in notch eight. <laughs> and never came down, never coasted on the downgrade. And this was no load. This was just the locomotive. Oh, so, boy. I looked at the values and I went back to the, even realizing different motors and all that stuff, went back and between the PA and one of the U-boats, kind of went down the uh, different values and started just compromising. Well, what if I did this? What if I do that? What if I slow this down? That's all this kind of stuff. So. After about 90 minutes, I had the Santa Fe SDF 40-2, pretty daggone well-behaved, normal exhaust, coasting. So I did another Genesis unit, an older Genesis uh, 
FP-45, the Dunham Freight, one of the conversions. Uh-huh. And it clicked the first time. It came back, and it was just like the, the other locomotives that did well. Just RPMs up, coast, RPMs down, coasting, minor blips in the throttle. And I went, oh, this is great. So I kept tuning the SD-40, the Santa Fe version, to meet the FP-45. And yeah. was 30 minutes later, had them running together very, very well. I had the SDP 40 Fs out this morning doing them again. And this time, one of them, every time I would try manually, just try and put some values in off one of the other locomotives using JMRI. Yeah. It would write them and they'd show up in the CV table, put it on the track and just, just wacko running. Oh, wacko running. Huh. So I put them back on the program track, read the values, zero, 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 zero. Everything had zeroed out. But yet it was still acting as if the DDE was in, in effect. Noise ramping up, coming down just a little bit, so forth, so on. Because then I was mystified. Just I had no idea what the heck was going on. And so I thought, well, I got to get a hold of Chris. We need to talk about this. And because, uh-huh. uh, now, am I correct? DDE is mainly about the sound and the way the, the processor makes the locomotive sound based upon, I guess, the back EMF settings and performance. Or is that not true? I believe that's true. Okay. That made, that made sense to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> that. That makes sense to me because I didn't always understand it that way. So I started yeah. watching a bunch of George's soundtrack videos, but also under goalie George, he has a bunch of videos in there interspersed with his hockey, hockey matches. So I started just making notes when he would make a comment. He said, well, I think you try this with 211, CV211 on the back EMF. And he said, look for track voltage, CV211 on back EMF. And because I had measured the power on the track, and I've got a 5 amp or 5 watt amp on the uh, Pro Cab, and it's pumping between 13.3 and 14.4 volts. Mm -hmm. So the suggestion in the soundtracks manual on the EMF section is, as a guide, just multiply that by 10 and put that in uh, for that value. He said, because that's what the computer is going to be looking for. So I did. So I Uh dropped it down. And because it was running, one of them was running at 17, 18. And anyway, I cut it back. All of a sudden, the target motor started acting better. So then hmm. I looked at K, KI, or is it, yeah, KI and KP, those mm-hmm. two factors on, on, uh, back in that. You will not just be speaking Greek to me. My mind cannot <laughs> get its self 
wrapped around the logic of what those are supposed to do. But I've just noticed that there's a, once you try and set it up, again, there's a wide disparity. And I'm going, okay, so this is measuring different current draws and stuff within individual motors, I guess. Yeah. And it is then extrapolating that information, or DDE is extrapolating that information and judging the, the sound. So <laughs> the uh, I took one of the FDP-40Fs while I was waiting for the time to roll around then, put it up there with a bunch of heavy cars. And, of course, I zeroed out or went back to the default uh, DDE value. So it's not working, and it's it's not running that badly. <laughs> the, huh. uh, you know, because, like, what you've mentioned before is you use your throttle, but you're controlling the motor sounds by F5 and F6, Manonachi. Yeah. So I thought, well, yeah, maybe Chris is on to something here that I need not worry about DDE, at least on a couple of these locomotives, and just do this by manual notching. So it's, you know, because I'm looking, I've got 60-some locomotives, and I'm going, this is going to be a long year <laughs> if all these are this much of a, of a yep. fight to do it. So I went, okay, I think Chris is on to something. Let's just zero out the DDE. If if the initial read values uh, come back all all over the place and the performance is erratic, I'm just going to zero it out and get it going. And because it's a small railroad, and just use F5, F6 to make the sounds work. Yeah. Well, how many switchers do you got, Paul? The ones that just operate by themselves or maybe with two locomotives? Just Most of my consists are two, some are three locomotives. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the more you scale out the, the consists, say if you have like anything past two locomotives, it seems like the more complex DDE is, is to set up. And then it gets sort of comfortable with that exact consist so if you ever you know take something and move it around to a different consist you'd have to reset up the dde to play nice with the other locomotives and george mentions that in one of his non-soundtrack videos and he's shown these two different locomotives on his test track and how he said because even if one just hits a momentary pause in the track and the other one bumps it he said, you don't want that lead locomotive or the rear one interpreting that as a load increase and responding. Right. And I went, okay, that, that makes sense. So needless to say, his two locomotives in his, in his film were just like they were miniature people in their driving. They were perfect. So. Yeah. Uh, because the other thing is typically the uh, prime mover low volume limit, which is 507, is at zero. So it never drops down like if you go to a simulated coasting. And I've noticed that all mm -hmm. the 508, which is the uh, high volume limit, is like almost maxed out. It's way above 200. Mm. I'm going, okay, let's not just back to maybe 100 and see if this is less obnoxious. And it is. It's 
So I jumped the uh, low up to about 24, the high to right around 100. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. the swings in volume were one, not as irritating, but then two, especially in my railroad environment out there, is it just adds to the realism. So, yeah. I mean, there is so much good about Tsunami 2. Well, even Economy has the multiple light registers. You know, you can have register one, register two, and that stuff. I just, I love that kind of stuff. Of course, the graphic equalizer is cool. But, oh, yeah. Uh, I am still trying to figure out all of these things. So what do you know? Enlighten me. <laughs> well, what I know is I don't even bother putting DDE enable well, well, I should okay. say I I don't enable DDE on anything other than a single locomotive just because of them out of setup and work that that is required to get it to you know to be kind of authentic sounding so um, are you saying you do one out of every consist is DDE did I understand no that right? I just do a single locomotive oh. like an SW 1500 oh, I'll turn okay. DDE on on that um like tunnel motors? Yeah. No. Okay. No, well, it won't won't touch it because I want number one these tunnel motors to be flexible. Say if I want to mix and match like some forty five tunnel motors from yeah. you know this one box and put them with some SD forty five R's from another, I can do that. Okay. And, and the, uh, when you start doing constants, you start looking at your function mapping. Mm -hmm. kind of holistically across all your locomotives and you try to come up with a function map that'll work with all of them together as soon as they're in an advanced consist. I, um, the other thing that I do too is I advance consist all my consists. Okay. Uh, just because I like being able to ramp up, you know. Yeah. I, if, I, if I'm ramping up, I want the entire consist to ramp up at the same time. And I, I can do that when it's an advanced consist. Say for dynamic brakes, same thing. You know, it, I hit the dynamic brake button. I want all of them to kind of go into that mode. So instead of just to have the lead locomotive and then the others are kind of, you know, silent, you can have the entire score of locomotives re react simultaneously to the same throttle event, which is really cool. Okay. Well, and because that got me into... Somehow I lost, and it was a mental lapse on the uh, SDP-40s mm -hmm. because you guys have number board lights, the headlights, you've got the gyro light uh, between the number boards, and then you have ground lights. Mm -hmm. And they run, you know, the trailing units, just the number board lights are on, which is realistic, and the, the ground lights... Somehow, when I was doing this, it was my fault. I changed the value. Wasn't paying attention to what I was doing on the function mapping. Hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. And so one of the locomotives I got straightened out, and the other one is not. So the other one that's not is right now in the trailing mode. <laughs> and the one that I got back to the way it should be is always the lead until I... Because I couldn't find my manual, so I thought, okay, I don't know how they wired these to the different auxiliary functions. So 
I'll just leave it alone and I'll take it apart and do that after I get these others because I've added ground lights. Okay. It's an easy process. I've got a blog article for Model Railroad Hobbyists to to get just upload and publish. And but I wanted to remember to go in there at night and just stage a couple of locomotives on the track and do a time lapse to pick up the uh, the ground lights. Because mm-hmm. I set those to run all the time. Daylight, dark, right. just the way a prototype does. And it's a neat little effect and it's easy to, to put in. I have a motorized Dremel like most of it, but I've got the, the extension, the flexible head on it. And I can get right down. I cut slots today, you know, use a metal cutting disc. And I cut the slots because you only have to go about a sixteenth of an inch deep. And just a little flare at the bottom on the frame so that the I've got some most of them are O six O threes. Uh a few were O four O twos, but they're such a pain in the butt because they only come with magnet wire. Mm-hmm. And that's just mm-hmm. like crazy. So I've been buying my own 0603s and just running 30-gauge wire. And those two guys right. will fit right in that slot. I put mm-hmm. some on tape across the top and then hit it with, uh, oh, shoot. What is the uh, micro scale, the white glue that makes glass crystal coat, crystal? Crystal clear. Yeah, put that in. And I've got a the laundry room window, especially this time of year, has about five hours of sunshine. So I just put them in there, tape down the wires so they can't go, double check the position. I just set the locomotive in the window for a couple hours to just speed that cure to where the motor or the wires can't move, and then pull the tape off and finish securing them. And mm-hmm. you shrink tube like conduit so that I can wrap the wires through it, especially on my E units where I've taken the, you know, remoted them to Kaido and stuff, and got rid of that big massive uh, P2K weight, and then wrap the wires back, everything's neat and clean, and uh, yeah, in fact, opening the uh, the blog article, I blame Nathan for the uh, <laughs> for this compulsion to be this detail oriented, <laughs> put the lights there, but. It's a neat feature and it's easy to do. Yeah. Now you can't use. That's yeah, pretty straightforward. Can't use JT's twelve oh six bulbs because they're so daggone bright, and they're they're big. <laughs> so I just buy right. uh, either those six oh threes or whatever and put my own thirty gauge wire on them and run them up there. Now let me bounce this off from you. Mm-hmm. All right. So you've converted me into. Uh, just deactivating the DDE or not activating it. I went back and took your recommendation to use the standard function mapping for F5 and F6 because I had changed that. And I went, nah, Chris is right. Let's keep uh, notch up, notch down back here in F5 and 6. I changed that. So got the main line in, started laying the yard in some of the buildings. And mm-hmm. My wife's going, we really have to get to Dallas. And I said, well, sure, we can drive over. And she said, no, we need to live there to help with the granddaughter. And I went, okay. So the house is going back on the market. That's what you're telling me, right? And she goes, 
it's really what I want to do. And I said, well, if that's what you want to do and it's best for the granddaughter, then we'll do it. So I'm then going, all right, this is just an ugly twin main line here with no scenery or anything. But So I bounced this off the guys in that first segment. I said, what would you think about if you take silicone or acrylic silicone, like, you know, the good window clock, and you go down the, the side of the ba- uh, roadbed, corporate bed, and then sprinkle the ballast on the side and kind of lightly tap it in. That will form a shoulder at the top so that when you lay the top ballast, it can't easily, like, vibrate or whatever down the slope. It's captured in between the ties. And so we had a discussion about that because it's my opinion what causes track to be destroyed when you take down a model railroad is it's all the glued in ballast. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, because that same acrylic caulk just mm-hmm. is going to squishing up through the ties, that and I've got paver bricks I just put on it. And that that track is not going anywhere. Neither is the roadbed. With yeah. that just judicious application. Because I've already had to move track. My grandfather made this 12-inch long butcher knife. And somehow I inherited it. I've already gone through with that that thin-bladed knife. And it's just a, like a little flick, flick, flick. The track comes up, no damage. So does the, uh, the cork. No big globs left on the uh, yeah, top of the modules or anything. And you just re-glue it. So I'm going, mm-hmm. okay, now we'll be throwing away a couple of hundred dollars worth of track and uh, turnouts. Right. Uh, I can vacuum up the, the ballast and what stays on the edge, I can just clean that off. That's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I've switched over to floral foam because I can't find mm-hmm. in, in the market down here pink board or blue board. So is, what's is that the green stuff? Yeah, you find in Michaels and places. Right. Cheap, lightweight. You can shape it with heat. You can shape it with a, uh, a rasp or any of that. It puts out a lot more debris, but it vacuums right up. And once you either cover it with a plaster cloth or mm-hmm. just a slurry of spackle, not the vinyl spackle, but just regular cheap Ace Hardware spackle, cut about one and a half to one, make it in small batches to, or to however you want to put it on with a big wide brush. And, you know, you can stipple it and do all that. But anyway, do that because that's messy. I would do that outside anyway. I'd zip texture it and then I would do my static grass or whatever. But instead of anchoring this stuff down, like making it earthquake proof, It'll go in, and I'll just cut strips that bridge the sections visually, and mm-hmm. that can be static glass so that this stuff can all be lifted up. Not so much that I'm concerned about taking a bunch of mountains or anything with me wherever we move. It's just less mess to clean up. Oh, sure. So I thought, okay, I can still do this because if the realtor, and I mentioned this in the, the other part of the podcast it. And she goes, well, you really need to take all this down so people can see it's a bedroom. And I'm going, no, they can walk into the room because I did make the sections lift up. They can look in the closet 
And if they can't visualize this is a bedroom, then maybe they shouldn't be buying a house like this. You know, come on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like yeah, they take down all your family pictures so they can imagine theirs there. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So anyway, so the railroad is progressing. So I was razzing JD, JT about if you go to his website right now, it'll say the store is not open. I got to get caught up on the work. I'm doing this. And I'm adding new products. It'll be uh, open approximately this day. And right. so I was kidding him about it. I said, you're causing me stress here. I got money to spend and no place to spend it. <laughs> he goes, well, you can go buy this and this. And I said, no, I can't. You're now sold out of them. Yeah, the light kits are pretty much uh, sold out. I think he's still got some of the Keep Alive's, his version, and some mm -hmm. stuff that I was going to buy a couple more Alco uh, Tsunami 2s. You only had one. And I know he's oh, got really? Them. Yeah, I know he's got them coming in, but most of the economies are out. But by the, uh, the end of this week, which would put it, like that 17th or 18th, 15th, 16th, he's saying I should be back up. So, oh, okay, cool. And have you seen his list of generic sizes he added to his uh, speaker's selection? Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, he's got a downloadable list. Uh-huh. And because I was upstairs today taking locomotives apart, when I first put decoders in these locomotives yeah before jt was even around the speakers that were out there weren't necessarily all that good to fit the factory mounting like right. you know how you guys have this screw in mounting for a 28 millimeter right. and so some i would do for people at the store and i would just get a good high quality 28 millimeter and put it in there but on my own i would just take it out so that I can put a multi sugar cube arrangement up above it. So I don't have any of those weights. <laughs> I can't use JD's, you know, slips in without modification speakers. So fortunately, most of your hoods, most of the afternoon hoods, especially on the Genesis, like Genesis, the 45-2s, the tunnel motors, all of those things have about you can get away with a 16 millimeter, some of them go a little bit wider, wide speaker. And you can easily cram in 15 to 20 millimeter height. And at the back of those long hoods, good grief, you can put 50 some millimeters plus back there. And I've got a couple of his big generic speakers like that. And it's quite impressive what kind of sound those things will put out. Oh, yeah. So that's what I'm going to be putting in all my SD 45-2s, uh, my tunnels. I'm waiting until I get your guys' new powered underframes with the design, redesigned truck before I go ahead and buy those. Because uh, I've looked at the photos, and I know you've got a big weight back there. So I'll see how that works. Oh, yeah. So I'll wait on those. Not like I don't have anything to do in the meantime, but... Uh, <laughs> the only one that I had trouble with was an SD40-2, one of your guys. And so... Oh, really? I ordered his SD40-2 Fitzathern, and it wouldn't fit. 
because the older SP40-2s, not talking like maybe 2012, 2013 vintage, has internal shoulders. There's two or three of them back there, I guess for stiffening. Yeah. Um, so to get the DSM-8 Railmasters in there, I had to sit there and file down those sides. That and you could grind them down with a, a Dremel. So he goes, why did you use this speaker instead of this one? I said, because it won't fit. He said, what? So I sent him a picture and he said, oh, crap. <laughs> so he designed a, another speaker now that fits the earlier SD40-2s with internal braces. So I'll order one or two of those. And because uh, I'm going to. You know, the SD40 2 is going to be changing again. Oh, how so? They're, we're putting in some built in sugar cubes. So the, the mounting system is again uh, different. <laughs> so, yeah. So I keep, keep that in mind for when these this next group of SD40 2s come in. Okay. Well, you know, the ones that I had a lot of compliments on were. I used the big cubes, the 13 by 18 by 13, and I put three of them together, mounted them on a thick piece of styrene. And in fact, I put them in five or six different models of your locomotive and fired them up through the fans and the openings in the back, and they tuned up real well on the graphic equalizer. Oh, nice. In fact, Professor Kleisler on the MRH board had taken one of my videos and did analysis of it and came back. He said, here, try these frequencies in the equalizer. And I'm, holy mackerel, that sounds good. And he did that just from looking at a, at a video and running it through his magical sound machine. Well, that's interesting, Chris. That is interesting. Yep, yep. There's some neat stuff kind of going on behind the scenes. I know for a fact that the SD40T-2, so it should have the sugar cubes in them. Okay, you're doing what, one in the front, one in the rear? Nope, they're, they're right next to each other. Okay. Uh, uh, right above the tunnel section. Okay. So keep that in mind. Um, there, there's some other neat stuff going on with JT right now. Um, I'm sending them a, an Atlas B40-8. This is like one from their first run of these things. Yeah. So no sound, and it had the like the the lens sort of manual dual mode decoder, where it's kind of like a, a four pin plug, where you plug it in to a set of plugs four, and then if you plug it in aft, it turns it into like DCC mode or something like that, you know. So. Uh, yeah, it, it's it, it was kind of it, it was an ancient DC. DC decoder, and I kind of I, this locomotive I custom painted myself like 15 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I sold it to a friend, yes, and then traded uh, a, a locomotive for it back because I'm trying to get some of the stuff that I've done work on back in back in my my possession. So, uh, but you know, at the same time, I I, I really like. The Tsunami 2 GE decoders. They just sound so good to me, especially through JT's speaker system, where you get that extra bass and you can hear notes that you wouldn't normally hear otherwise. So um, I, I think that this 
this will probably end up being like a custom design speaker for this project, mm-hmm. but it'll open up like the the older Atlas B40-8. So, so he's he's interested in it. I'm 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 interested in sending it to him and just having it done. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we had a conversation on steam because he's getting ready to bring out a bunch of steam, including some boiler mounts. And so we had a conversation on, well, are you videos going to show us how to get the, the boiler skin off so we can get into the, the weight metal to uh, cut it out so we can put some of your boiler speakers in there for uh, whistle and chuff locality? And he said, well, maybe, maybe not. And I said, well, I watched, again, George on a BLI locomotive, and he's, now you take this off, you take this off, you take this off, take this off. And I'm going, hi, George, where did you find out how to do that? Did somebody at BLI show you how to get that off? Because I've only got one locomotive that tells me how to take the boiler cover off. And that's a river Rossi. It says lift this up, remove this screw, and it just exposes the big weight and all the wires going down through there so that you can hmm. cut it off if you wanted. Right. I used the example of, I said, well, I've got a Genesis big boy. I said, I put it in a cradle and looked underneath looking for something that I think might release it. I said, because I'd already done the, the thumb test on everything, thumbnail, on like the steam housing, the sanding housing, and all this stuff to try and find some kind of hidden release. I said, the only thing I could see at the bottom were the covers for undoubtedly where the gears are for the two motors, the front and the rear motor. And I said, now I wasn't about to go messing around in that. And yeah, because I thought about putting a speaker up front. And then I went, okay, I'll just put it in the tender. I read the instructions on how to put it in the tender and it doesn't work. I could get the back cover off the tender, like where the rear coupler is, but you can't get in there to replace the speakers or anything, or even right. use Tsunami 2 in there. Because what the guy at Athens was telling me to do, I tried it and I was flexing it because I have the cold tender. And I could see this is just going to break this piece because it just yeah. wasn't releasing. And I went, okay, there's something else that I'm missing or he missed. I said, I'm not going to ruin this expensive locomotive for that. But yeah, that's the, that's the big secret is how do you get in there? Uh, I did an in-scale Kato 484 for the local store here. And I, you know, you have to take that cover off the boiler, but it shows you how to do it. It has how to get the top up, but it doesn't tell you how to access the weight because I was going to cut it down and put a sugar cube up front in addition to the ones in the tender. And nothing... No clue on how to do that. And like I said, I'm not going to take steam locomotive drivetrain apart. Worry about breaking all those fragile side rods and all that stuff. Yeah. So, and they're so easy to go out of quarter and stuff like oh, that, you know. 
I broke one of the real small, it's non-functional. That's it's a cosmetic piece on the big boy. Just picking it up to set it on some rollers to uh oh, so no. more easily clean the wheels. And it's just oh, two nuts. It has nothing to do with the quartering, but I've looked I've not found any spare parts. So my fix is gonna be I'm gonna go in with a piece of phosphor bronze wire, very, very thin. Super glue it to the back side of one side, put a drop on the other side, and bring that broken edge right up to it. And kind of like putting a spline behind it. Because yeah. it, it has no stress on it. It's just a cosmetic piece. It just follows the, the wheel around. But, I mean, it was my followers. I knew they were fragile. I was asking you know, clumsy, so my bad. Oh, no. Well. It happens. Yeah, let me know how that goes for you. <laughs> but you know what? You can help me with. <laughs> What's that? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one to have done this. On your Genesis SDP-45s. Okay. By the way, two of those with the Tsunami 2 and setting up... Uh, DDE, they were two of the ones that just ran perfectly. Oh, really? By following the instructions and then consisted them. Ah, piece of work, piece of just beautiful sound. But anyway, while I'm doing this, and I didn't notice this until after I'd already vacuumed the carpet in the train room, one of those fan grills on top, which are so dainty, on the SDP yeah. 45, and they're also the same ones you've got on the SDP 40s, came up. I have no idea where it is. So that fan is open. So I've bought different Atherm fans. They're not two fans. It's not that. It's not like the new SD 70 Max or any of them. If you ever run across one of those, <laughs> put it in an envelope oh, and send okay. it to me. Because I've checked on <laughs> eBay and I've checked all the the guys, you know, like so yeah. much stuff on eBay and it's not yeah. in the parts catalog. No, that's one of those things you just got to call parts at atherin.com and um, get a hold of them and just see what they can do for you. Yeah, because you know how you can do that. At, you should be able to anyway. Walters go, hey, I'm looking for this. The guy goes, give me a minute. You hear rattling in the back. Goes, I found one. <laughs> All right, I'll call the parts guy and see if the gentleman uh, can uh, help me out there. Turns out, going back to JT for a moment, he's a mm -hmm. hand track layer. Oh, he, cool. Oh, makes all his own turnouts. He and Jim Lincoln. Something that uh, Jim just probably oh. uh, chewing on each other's ear for hours. <laughs> this, the, once that came up in the conversation, you know, I went and had dinner and came back, and they were still talking about it. <laughs> yes, that was really a common chord for those guys there because I mentioned about the joiner plates, joiner bars, whatever that we we talked about. Yeah, and you or Jim mentioned well, even on welded rail, the turnouts are loaded with them. So I started researching photos of turnout because I'm going to make the yards as jointed rail. And so that came up in a conversation. 
Jim goes, do not use an, uh, a Dremel. He said, use a number 11 blade and just cut a slight groove. He said, and then you put a little paint wash in there and the eye sees black. He said, it won't wear. It's not going to mess with your thing. He said, and it's the right scale size. He said, don't use a that. And I said, okay, so I know I need a joint bar every, okay, jointed railway is 39 feet long, so every almost 20 feet I need a joint bar and a slot. And it turns out JT worked for the North Fork Southern on one of their track games for a while. How about that? Yeah, who knew? And so he said, look, I don't turnouts. He said, turnouts, especially in the yard, get so much wear and tear and repair. He said, sometimes they get fixed with whatever available track is handy. They just cut it to fit, and it goes in with a joint bar. I said, no kidding. He said, yeah. He said, even different weight rails will be accommodated within the same turnout. So he said, go by the pictures. He said, Nobody's going to know. He said, they're going to see it. And Jim goes, yeah, because he does fish plates, joint bars. He does all this stuff on his. He goes, yeah. He said, especially in hard to see spots. I said, well, the yard is right up front. I said, but I get your point. I will do that. Because there's one of the gentlemen, Brillinger, I think is his last name on MRH forums, who makes these. And... So I went to his website and looked, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I'm looking for joint bars. He must have five versions, lengths, shapes, number of bolt holes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, yeah, yep. JT's going, all the railroads are different, Paul. He said, just pick one. He said, you won't be wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Did you get your move done? Uh, the move? No, that, that's... No, that's that's still coming up here. So okay, that's going to be uh, by the end of the week. So that'll be fun. Okay, did you guys get hammered it, by the winter storm? It's fun enough to move myself, much less you know my desk. <laughs> did you get hammered by the snow? A little bit. Uh, we got you know it seems to be more more kind of like slushy, icy okay. type snow that that froze. Um, didn't have a a ton of commu- uh, accumulation or anything, but. It was, it was good enough to kind of put a chill in your bone, you know. When I moved to Champaign, of course, it was summer. It's when we transferred the plant up there. And so it was before Thanksgiving. We had a special event just flurries. Turned out to be like eight inches of snow. And I had to get on 57 to go up to Rantoul. And I like to never got my car up the ramp. Once I got to the interstate, at least it had been plowed. Yeah. Z28s just don't have the best traction tires for Jeeps. <laughs> no. So shortly after, the uh, the Z28 and the Honda became the Cape of Grand Cherokee Limited. It was a good thing because, good grief, almost the uh, first of March that year, we had a 10-inch snowfall. <laughs> so, oh my gosh oh it's beautiful though the plains are just beautiful and then the drifts blowing across there over on the former air base you know Chinook just 
stacking up bumper deeps. <laughs> yeah. A lot of good nights to stay by the fireplace. So. Oh yeah. Well that, that's starting up right now. I mean, we we had kind of an earlier snow this year, but it, yeah. it was before Thanksgiving in November, we started getting a little bit of snow and it's been cold ever since. Uh, we had a, a, a little break in the cold and some rain and then it went back to being cold, but I'll tell you what, it's been good sort of modeling weather. If I could ever oh, get away it. from doing housework and Athern stuff and actually sit down by my work workbench and get something going. We had a huge rain Friday, so I told my wife, I said, both cars are clean. We're not going anywhere during this rainstorm. I'll be in the train. <laughs> and uh, this Thursday is another all-day rain event. And I'm going, car's still clean, not going anywhere. <laughs> it's a train day. <laughs> Everybody, that, that listeners can identify with I can with use that. a few of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shoot. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I don't want to hold yeah, you. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I met with a, a, a young man. Um, his name's Matt Weaver. He's part of the, 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 I guess it's the University of Illinois. They had a, a train club. No kidding. Um, and, and what happened is the... They got disbanded from their their location, so now a number of them are kind of like trying to figure out what what's next. This guy Matt Weaver and a couple other guys are looking at doing a, kind of like a modular type exhibit, and he and I had a pretty good chat about you know what what opportunities lay for like a modular layout in this day and age with uh, some of the things that are available like LED strip lighting and th stuff like that. I mean, you could really even control not only the backdrop, but the lighting for the module. So it, that that's that's one thing to consider. But, there, you know, when you start looking at all the options for track and subroad bed and things like that, it's just gotten so, so good recently that it's like, you know, it, it, there's so many options. It's kind of hard to figure out a good way forward, you know. How many people would be involved? I'd say uh, seven initially. Okay. So, so I, I think just kind of throwing numbers around like, okay, well, what, what would be the minimum space that this layout would occupy with like 48-inch radius curves? Yeah. And, and we kind of put our heads together and say, let, let's say 10 by 14, you know, just so there's a little bit of, you know, setback from the side of the module and the track center and et cetera. Yeah, so – we, we wanted to do something with a little bit bigger radius so we can run bigger things and 89 foot, you know, freight cars and stuff nice. like that. So, um, I, the next step for any sort of group like this is like, okay, where's going to be home base that yeah, has, where are you going to do it? Well, let's say, you know, if it's a 10 by 14 layout, you'd want to have like a, no less than four feet around that sort of footprint to set up. So yeah. eight, eight feet plus, you know, 10 feet. So it'd be 18 by 22. So what, what place it has like an 18 by 22 foot space that we could use to build and set up the layout and leave it set up while we're working on it, you know? So that's the next step. And this is kind of the, the exciting part. It's sort of like trying to track down the place and then we can start talking track plans, <laughs> you know, because it's all for naught unless if we have a, a, a place to, you know, set something up and leave it set up for an extended period of time. Okay. Uh, observation. Mine upstairs, my outer main line 
ranges from 44, or I'm sorry, 42 inch radius to 39, and then two inches a little bit a skosh more off of that for the inner vein line. And I've got mm -hmm. F89s, a lot of F80 or 85 for passenger cars, and the overhang, yeah, 48, 60, whatever is even more preferred. But once you hit that near 40, Chris, it's not screaming that this is a tight radius. So that may give you some leeway. And then my other comment is, can you go to a you store it location and rent a big enough room to put your club in? Well, I, I'm not so sure about that because a lot of these places just don't have electricity inside or heat well, you heating a, or yeah, not the uh, the ones air that conditioning are, and stuff look like trailers with driveways between them. I'm talking about the one with controlled environment. We have oh, a number yeah. of those around here, and I was surprised mm -hmm. at how big they can be. Oh, okay. It might be worth a phone call. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, we, keep in mind we also have a railroad museum here that has space around. Okay. So it, we're, we're trying that avenue first. Okay. And depending on that, you know, figuring out what next, you know. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing that, that we're kind of talking about, too, is sort of like we have like a core size, this this 10 by 14. But, of course, we, we're going to want to add on. We're, we're going to want to have like a yard and some other sure. facility and stuff like that. But, you know, the basic smallest setup that we can be is this. And, you know, having a smaller, more compact setup initially makes makes it a lot easier to get up and running. You know, what about Horizon? Is it would you be, you know, would be public relations goodwill if they could provide the space in exchange for some recognition of, you know, the Horizon Hobbies Model Railroad Club, something like that? Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, okay. It, there, there's just such you know, with all the chaos going on right now with uh, trying to get. Yeah, the the company moved over and stuff like that. It's kind of the last thing on their mind. And, well, no, um, you would wait a little bit until yeah. things calm down. Well, but, uh, yeah, and and you know, there's also weekend access and stuff like that. It's yeah. just it, it's it's better if it's just a separate entity. If it's aligned with the museum, I think that's great because then oh, then you know there there's you have. You have more sort of uh, capacity at at your fingertips. There's there's other guys there that can help spread word of mouth. There's other guys there that might you know have a beat on like another storage or um, set up opportunity somewhere else. You know, so, okay. so I, I think that's just the net net gain um, to go that route. Okay. Uh, it, it is a little bit further away, but not by much it's like 15 miles away from where i'm at you know when you're in the sticks like me versus la you know 15 miles is like down the street you know when you're in the sticks 15 miles is, oh my gosh it's so far away you know? <laughs> <laughs> well let me mention two things then 
Um, this goes back to when I was with ACF, you know, center flow covered hoppers, all that. They closed the New York headquarters because it was on the property that became the Twin Towers. And so they moved. Oh. Yeah. So they moved the two railroad divisions, Shippers Carline and American Car and Foundry Amcar, the headquarters to St. Charles. That's where the passenger car plant was. And there were a number of us there that were model railroaders. And what they did is they went in and just converted former manufacturing space that was adjacent to the original offices that they built in the 50s because the plant went back to like the 1890s and all the adjacent areas that were easily accessible they just converted them to offices floors ceiling air conditioning all this and beyond that was just warehouse hand-hewn timbers that were you know 90 years old so i approached i went through human resources and i said you know you've got about 15 of us that I know of that are model railroaders, what's the chances of you guys allocating some of that unused warehouse space, you know, and I've referenced behind such and such a department. And I said, we'll build a screened in place for security. And we're all employees, so getting into it on the weekends, not a problem. They came back and they said, well, why do you want to be there? We've got a finished room that's paneled that's 25 by 40 next door to shippers. And it's got restrooms. And we just went, you're going to let us use that? Yes. It just has to be called the uh, ACF Industries Model Railroad Club. And we were just overwhelmed. Secondly, that's awesome. <laughs> so you never know until you ask the question. And yeah. The other thing is, and don't laugh, but check around and look for a repossessed, either single wide or double wide mobile home. You might be able to get it for next to nothing, especially depending upon its condition. Your biggest mm -hmm. expense might be just having it moved to the museum site. Sit down, you're going to need to spend money for some landscaping and stuff, so that, and you know, fix up the inside, but that might be a cheap, free, and easy, outside of some sweat equity up front, way to get insulated, heatable, air conditionable space. I just throw it out for you to consider. Well, you know, we, we were actually build, considering building the layout in a boxcar. Excellent idea. You know, the, <laughs> there's several insulated. Sure. Uh, Re, uh, refrigerator cars over sure. there with plug doors and stuff. They'll seal up real nice and, you know, especially Reaper, if there's an old mechanical around, that's an easy one, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> so. you can build uh, an entryway, you know, a porch and stuff like that. You can cut windows into it. Oh, mm -hmm. but no, that's... When I lived in Michigan, uh, there was a guy down the road for me had a caboose and a boxcar. Mm -hmm. We're up sitting among the cornfields, and I went, why? Because he had a crossing signal that he kept on. Yeah, you know, it's constantly flashing over there on his lot where these two cars were. And I thought, 
well, wouldn't that make a nice train room? And then I read an article about where somebody did exactly that. Got a used box car, mm-hmm. had it trucked in, craned in. Uh, this guy actually set it back on the trucks with some scrap pieces of rail. And that was his model railroad club. Or <laughs> model railroad. He had it wired. And I thought, how neat would that be? <laughs> well, you know, it, one of the things that we were discussing, too, is coming up ahead of time with the, the I'd say, the the logistics to moving this layout around. Figure yeah. out that ahead of time. Build the racks. Build whatever, yeah. you know, contraption you need to do to, to get these things to, to transport at, all together easily and quickly set up, you know. Yeah. So, but you know, if it's built in a boxcar, you it's one less thing you got to worry about. Just couple up on it. Hey, we're going over to this show. Yeah. <laughs> I need a switch move. <laughs> we'll just spot it right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, if they can bring like that EMD Caterpillar locomotive into a, you know, one of those uh, conventions. Engine halls, why not yeah. a boxcar, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. So. Uh, talking about ACF passenger cars, when we were watching the, the coverage of the UP movement of uh, mm-hmm. President Bush's casket to College Station, and you know, I started mm-hmm. telling my wife, I said, ACF built that one, built that one, built that one, built that one. She said, really? I said, yeah, I've got the lot books upstairs. You want to go confirm? And uh, I said, yeah, 1954-55, ACF built a ton of cars for the UP. And I said, all those domes are ACF. I said, that's our diner. That's it. So interesting how history yeah. shows up. Because mm-hmm. always, kids- you know, that that was a pretty, pretty amazing uh, gesture. Yes, it was. I, 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 that was just the the amount of exposure to the event. Yeah. You know, I think UP did just a really fantastic job paying homage to them. So. Well, they had that um, that forty one forty one locomotive. I mean, it was just a natural thing to do. Yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah, that was so over the top, and it, it was really awesome to see all those people lining up around there waiting for that that train to come through. And yes, and the live footage—I was tuned in through through YouTube watching the live feed. Yeah, and they had like a camera just sort of like set out from the cab a little bit, so you could yeah. look either fore or aft right down the locomotive. And for a while, was looking straight ahead. And you could see the, the the road number on the side of the cab, and you know, yeah. around. that was just awesome. <laughs> that yeah. was really a the, the, some of that footage is just like, man, that was inspiring stuff to you know. Well, they kept the doors to that uh, baggage car open. I'm sure they had a plexiglass thing right there, so that everybody could see the flag draped cops casket and salute or wave or whatever to the to uh president bush so that was cool that was cool so yeah you know i i was 
I didn't really have any idea what sort of interest and coverage that that train would get. And I, I really think that it kind of brought a whole lot of awareness. Um, and, you know, not, not only to, uh, to the man, but also to, you know, I think other people that are interested in this sort of thing, maybe that wasn't necessarily mainstream at that time, but it is now, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, it was a, a great, great UP uh, move. Well, that's pretty much all I got for you, Paul. All right. Hey, I tell you what, it has been a very good hour spent. I'll get that. I've already edited the other one. I'm going to okay. add this one to the end and get it over to Joe so he can get it up by the end of the week. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, you making time, Chris. Oh, yeah, no problem. All right, buddy. Hey, talk All to right. you soon. Take care. 